Let us pray. Lord, allow your word to be on full display right now. Let the distractions, whether it be cars driving behind us or places that we're going in our future 30 minutes to an hour, Lord, would you just suspend all of that so we can be fully present. Let the kids at home jumping on the couch just relax for a second so that they too can be fed by your word. Move me out the way so people can see you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mac family, there is uh, uh, some good friends that I was able to get to know over the years, and they are uh, of a different culture. And they've told me that once you begin to learn English, English is really complicated language because we may have one word, but it could have two, three, or four different meanings depending on how you use it. You see, in a lot of other cultures, the one word has one meaning, but for us, we might have multiple meanings with one word. I was uh, watching a movie and I saw the way that they use this one word that I think will apply to how God's word is gonna speak to us today. It was a, a, a kid's movie, you know, the, the same kid's movie, it's the same story that gets told over and over again. All the kids are together. It's a sport team and the sports team sucks. What is that, the Bad News Bears, what, Mighty Ducks? Uh, what, what, we, we can start naming a whole bunch, but you know, the team sucks and then the unthinkable happens. The star player gets hurt. You see, unthinkable with that definition means that everything that could work wrong comes against you, and now it seems like nothing is going to work in your favor, the unthinkable. But there's another term that unthinkable can be used. It's not when it's just not desirable, but also when it's unlikely. So then somehow little Bobby or little Mitch, who hasn't played at all the whole year, comes in and he throws the ball and what happens? Goes in, home run, scored a winning goal. Still, the unthinkable happened in that moment too because that which was unlikely took place. I this week was uh, a, bit, a bit heartbroken because some unlikely circumstances took place. I'm at home in front of my computer and, and, and a um, news brief comes up about uh, a couple from Korea who have a store in North Carolina. Uh, a, a man walks into the store and he has a pole and he starts tearing up their store and he starts banging on their little coolers and tearing stuff up, yelling these obscenities at them, and then he leaves. The unthinkable took place, right? Where 
people because of their culture would be attacked in what we call the united. It's supposed to be the united, the, the example for other places, the United States. But then something unthinkable took place, something that not, was not undesirable, something that was unlikely. Before they could finish sweeping up the gla- glass, a delivery person came with pizza saying, I heard what happened. Another person came with food. A doctor showed up and wrote a check, and within hours, they had thousands of dollars that were generated on GoFundMe. People saying, we support and stand behind you. An unthinkable situation with an unthinkable solution. As we dive into the gospel today, we are going to see an unthinkable situation take place. But Jesus is going to himself be the unthinkable, unlikely solution. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Excuse me, Mark chapter 16, (laughs) verse 1. And if you have your Bibles, crack it open. If you have your phone, pull it out. It might be in your little basket. And if you're at home, we would love for you to be able to to follow along with us. Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were there saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? This situation is is bad, y'all. This situation is worse than catching food poison after coming from Taco Bell. This is not looking good. We have a situation where Jesus of Nazareth, this man who has been loving people, demonstrating kindness, demonstrating grace, healing people, teaching from the scriptures, helping people understand the ways and and thoughts, heart and mind of God, this Jesus sharing the depths of God's desire, this Jesus gets given a guilty sentence. As an innocent man, he gets given a guilty sentence. And before you know it, all these people who were believing that this Jesus was God are now shouting two words, crucify him. People who were excited about the miracles he he performed are now saying, get him out of here. Send him to the death chamber. We could start start second-guessing everything if this doesn't seem to work out. If by a show of hands, how many people in here have worked a job before where you, you, you received a paycheck? Some of y'all said they could have saved that paycheck for 
stress I went through. I know we ain't talking about that right now. What we're talking about, though, is, is, is you begin when you work for a place to begin to expect something. You expect if you put in the energy, the effort, the time, they will respond by paying you. But all it takes is them to come up short or not to pay you, and you start questioning everything. I worked with some people, and uh, the, 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 the boss didn't come through with the checks in the way he should have, and before I knew it, Folks wasn't showing up on time. People started uh, um, questioning how the boss was taking care of the finances of the organization. Everything began to unravel because of one thing. People expected to be paid. This, this Jesus has built a track record of speaking the gospel of God, of helping us understand the scriptures. And he is saying all of it will come to a head when I conquer death. I'm going to go through something that no one would wish upon their worst enemy. I'm going to experience the breaking of my body, the shedding of my blood, but it's for a great purpose. It's so that everything else that I've said to you will be validated. You can have sure confidence in all the miracles, all the testimony to scripture, all the prophets before me that spoke. You can have confidence because I'm going to conquer the grave. But that's not how we enter into the story. That's not how Mary and Mary see this story. We get to see it on Sunday with the sun shining, beautiful outfits, smiling faces. They saw it as he's dead. You notice you don't hear worship music in the background of verse one. You don't see praise dancers in verse one. You see women grieving, women feeling let down, women that are saying we are going to do what we have done for so many before us. We are going to anoint the body of someone that we loved that has died. We still kind of doing a, an anointing approach today. If you've buried someone that you love, you make sure they have on the, the nice outfit. You try to get them looking in a way that would, that would resemble them. You want them to still be honored even though you know that they aren't there anymore. This anointing was to, to care for the, the body of Jesus, to, to make someone who's, who's, who should at this point be starting to rot actually smell good with certain spices. This was the attempt to care for someone that they love dearly. And so they roll up. 
And now they're thinking, what did we get into? Who's going to move this stone? It's us three ladies. How are we going to make this happen? And then we get to verse 4. And looking up, they saw him, that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So family, let's, let's just imagine it. Put yourself there for just two seconds. You got the ointment. You're ready to go bring forth this process of grief. Maybe you're about to get some closure because you're at least going to be able to care for the body. And then you show up at a place where they're supposed to be quiet because there's no life, and you now interact with someone living. You now interact with a, an angel, and he says, hold up, <laughs> don't be alarmed. This, this, this Jesus, this Jesus that you seek, the Jesus from Nazareth, the Jesus that was crucified, Three simple words. He has risen. He has risen. Why are you looking for him among the dead? He has risen. He is not here. Something ain't right. What, what validation, what testimony, what Proof do you have that, that this was just not something that was made up by some people? This was just not a figment of the imagination. This was just not them hoping and wishing something into existence and that they walked into a premonition or a ghost of some sign. What, what makes us know that the resurrection happened? Well, first, let me give you, give you uh, some, some examples. The first example is we have some eyewitnesses, some folks who said after the tomb was found empty, Jesus revealed himself to people. Jesus showed up and showed out that people actually witnessed him with their eyes. And we know this because the culture in that time shifted. Anybody that was associated with Christians, they had a target on their back. Christians became the goal of persecution. So now if, if I asked y'all, hey, uh, we got a, uh, somebody that's going to come and bring pain on y'all, and all you got to say is, Pastor Leon can fly. You might hold out for the, maybe the first 10 seconds when they, you know, hit you on the leg. But then as the pain increases, you can't hold on to a lie as a person, as a family as a whole community and there were thousands of people that were saying 
whatever torture you bring, I'm willing to endure it because I've seen him. He is risen. He lives. And I'm willing to go through whatever I must, but I will not back down. And there is no torture that can get me to lie because I've seen him. And so you have this community of people that are under fire. And I, we have historical proof of many before Jesus that were trying to hustle and get over on people. And with the right amount of challenge, adversity, torture, they could squash it out. But the more torture that came, the more passion people had for saying no. (laughs) I saw him after he died. So bring whatever pain you want to Because I know there is more to this life than what I'm experiencing, and I too shall live with him. It was proof that folks had seen him. But also, y'all, if we could just like be real, Jesus had proof with some of the folks that's like the last people you expect to testify you are God. He had proof from his family. Y'all know we had Jesus' family, his his brothers. He had a brother named James, and James was pretty skeptical, didn't think that Jesus was who he said he was. And if you could be honest, Jesus dying confirmed it. He, he almost was like, oh, all that faking, bro. And let's be real. If you, if, if you claim that you was the Messiah, what would your siblings have to say? You, you know we got stories. You know you used to steal them cookies. See, sometimes family, sometimes the folks that's in your inner circle, sometimes the people that's closest to you, will be the last ones to testify. But this, but this James, right? He had an experience. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, Paul says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. James, then to all the apostles. So now the James that was skeptical, James that was like, oh man, Jesus, come on now. This James that knew him so well is now the James who for many of us is our favorite book of the Bible. The James that was willing to to endure persecution. This, This James who who then Paul sees in Galatians and says, I saw no other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. What a shift took place. How could he go from being close to him and being a skeptic and not believing to now being on fire and celebrating his brother like none other, even to the point of death? How does that happen? It happens when you 
have seen the risen Lord. It happens when, when there is a, a, a clear expression of God no longer being in this tomb, him now showing himself to people. He has risen. It's a beautiful thing. He was something that he kept telling people was going to happen, and they were struggling to believe it. Y'all know the the phrase, sometimes you say it when you get frustrated with one another, you get frustrated with a friend or a situation ain't working out, you say, get behind me, Satan. But see, that, that phrase is taken from, from Mark. L- listen to where that phrase is, is lodged within Scripture. Listen to what Christ's saying in Mark chapter 8. He says, this teaching is where we get uh, excuse me, it says, and, beg- and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. See, that, that phrase was said to even somebody close to Christ that would question whether he was going to die and rise. Anything that would, that would put into question the validity of what Christ was going to achieve for all of humanity was a tool from Satan. And so even Pete Dog got checked when the resurrection was put into question. I love that in Isaiah 53, we get this clear image of what Christ would achieve for us. 53, 12, he says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for their transgressors. He bore the sin of many. What makes Jesus different than any other God that claims to be God? When Jesus died, he also rose. When Jesus claimed to be God, he did something that no other God that claimed to be God has ever done. He lived and conquered death. So that's what makes him fit to be able to take the transgressions, the sins that we all have carried with us. That's what makes him fit to stand in your place. I started to uh, call a couple semi companies, some semi trucks, and just have them line from, from Mac Ave up to Canfield just full of dirt. And say this represents all of Leon Stevenson's sin. And the crazy thing about that type of scenario, that type of visual image, is that 
I'm going to have more trucks backing up the 94. But see, Jesus died for all of that, for all of us. And what confirmed it, what is the seal, what makes it something that you could hold and cling to is the fact that when they entered the tomb, he wasn't there. That when there was an opportunity for, like everyone else, death to win, he rose. He lived. Continue with me in verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. From trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. If you uh, read the Bible or if you're new the, the disciples are brought into this conversation because the disciples are nowhere to be found. The disciples, his crew, the 12 that was supposed to be ride or die are nowhere to be found. And so now we got to send word to go get them so that they can understand that the resurrection has happened. It's actually a story of forgiveness. It's actually something that should encourage you and me. It's actually something that we should see and take hold of that, that what wrong have you done that you might think cannot be forgiven? What act have you committed that you think is unforgivable? What thing has taken place in your life that you think, oh, God could love me, but not this. The disciples abandoned him. And yet he sends word to them. And so with us, there is nothing that you can do that's beyond the forgiving scope of our Lord. Him conquering death proves that. Because while on the cross, he says to those who wanted to see him crucified, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. We now have this power. We now have been given resurrection power. It is not something that dwells and stays just with Christ. It is now handed to his community of believers. And so that's where you begin to see these next verses, verses 9 through 20. You begin to get some glimpses of what resurrection power looks like within a community. Now, I will say, scholars debate all the time whether 
verses 9 through 20 should be in the Bible and how they fit and all of that. We're not going to debate that here. What we are going to do is see how these verses help us understand resurrection power. Verses 9 through 13. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. We had an unthinkable situation with Jesus being crucified. An unthinkable situation with Jesus being in the tomb. But then we have an unthinkable solution in Jesus rising and now we have all of these different situations to begin to play out that are countercultural. That if you and I were writing the story, we would write it using things that would make us look like we are in the best light. But in this day, unfortunately, and sometimes today, the voice of sisters was not valued. Women's voices were not valued. If you wanted to have somebody testify to something, you chose a man. Sadly, in this culture, uh, women were looked down upon. One of the quotes from biblical lit or from literature that supports uh, the Bible says, let the words of the law be burned rather than delivered to women. This is how people thought of things during that era. And instead of falling in line with that type of thinking, the biblical writers select women as the key witnesses to all of this unfolding. See how they say, no, we will be countercultural because this is what happened. This is truth. This Jesus lives. This Mary was there. And because they are there, we're not going to try to rework the story so we look good. Even if you will laugh at us, make fun of us for using sisters, we will tell the truth. They saw it. They proclaimed it. They championed Jesus. Their voices magnified and have changed all of humanity because they shared the gospel and went forth and started saying, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Powerful expression that folks were saying, if this didn't happen, if it didn't go down like this, if this Jesus this Jesus had not risen, there's no way you would have chosen to write a story like this. But we see unlikely solutions to a crazy problem. 
Continue with me, the Great Commission in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This great commission call happens as a result of people being empowered by the resurrection. So now the uttermost parts are to be reached. But you and I know when we walk into a room, we can begin to have our preferences. Try to find somebody that we have something in common with, that we already agree with. Oh, he's a dude that's tall, so let me go talk to him. Or she's a woman that's short like me, so let me go talk. Before you know it, we have our preferences of who we are drawn to. And the gospel says every creature, every creature, if they have mental illness, every creature, if they have physical ailment or mental ailment, every creature, if they are of a different race, a different age, every creature, the call is to every creature. Every living person should have a chance to hear the gospel because that is the extent of the resurrection power. Continue with verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So some of y'all are saying, Pastor, um, how are we going to make sense of this one? Because <laughs> don't you get me in no trouble. Don't, don't, don't go out today grabbing a viper or a copperhead. Like, Pastor preached it so we can go grab snakes. We can go do No, don't get me in no trouble. Mm -mm. Right. But see, what, what, what the gospel is saying here is, what would scare you? What would freeze you? What would stop you from speaking the good news to a person that I have created? Is it that they're demon-possessed? Ain't going to stop you. You got resurrection power. A snake? Ain't going to stop you. You got resurrection power. It, it is this call to, to these men and women to be going out and sharing this good news and not to have any hindrances. Nothing should stop you. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't command them, go find a snake. It says, go share the gospel. 
and no obstacle, no hindrance will get in the way because resurrection power is with you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will be in you. And so now what's stopping you? What's holding you up? What is the hang up? Nothing. Nothing. And the craziest of ideas that you could think of, well, we couldn't go because of them snakes. Uh, the craziest idea, we, he was demon Whatever the, you could imagine, we got almost listed right here. Oh, well, you know, when we go sit down with them and try to share the gospel over their table, they won't like us. They might try to poison us. And so what he's just, he's just killing every myth that would hinder them from being on fire for Christ. So your takeaway and my takeaway is that we don't allow anything to stop us from taking to gospel to another person because we have resurrection power. It's an unlikely, unthinkable situation. Something that you would have never wished upon your worst enemy. He experienced the cross on our behalf. But see, we were in a situation of sin that we could not break out of. We could not break from that shackle of sin. And Christ does the unthinkable. He died in your place. And he lived. And he lives. And if we can be honest, and if I can just open up your life for a second, Christ is still doing some unthinkable things. There's no way that you should be sane in your right mind sitting out here watching us from home. There is no way you should be doing these things that are so healthy where you are helping raise children and living a, a life contributing to the community and helping your neighbors and getting educated and starting businesses and caring for other folks. There's, a, there's, there's no way. There's no way. But for Christ and his resurrection power, I leave you with with one of those earlier questions. If you believe that he was raised, if you believe that the tomb couldn't contain him, if you believe that a debt was paid and now you are free from the bondage of sin, if you believe that this Jesus has risen, and you believe that he calls us to go out and share his good news, then my question is simple. What would stop you? What would hinder you from being on fire? What's the thing that should have been within these verses? Maybe your thing ain't snakes or demon-possessed. Maybe your thing is notoriety. Maybe you like being liked. Maybe you lazy and you just don't like getting off your butt to go talk to somebody. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe you only like to do something if everybody watching. I don't know. 
What's your hurdle? And let's present it before the Lord. Because if he's given resurrection power, that thing can be conquered. Because there's a world in need of knowing Christ, a world that he wants to reach. And he says, I'm looking right at you to reach him. I'm looking right at you to touch and reach all of creation. Unthinkable situation. But our Christ was the unthinkable solution. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful We think of how much death had been experienced prior to you. And it's easy on this side of the gospel story to look at the disciples and say, how could they have doubted? But before you, only death took place. Every time someone died, they stayed dead. And after you, Every time someone died, they stayed dead. But you, Father, you did something that our minds can't wrap around. Our logic does not allow us to compute, Lord. When we try to think on it, it just doesn't make sense. And that's why you stunned the world. Even those that were closest to you, you shocked them by doing something unthinkable. Help us, Lord, to live out of the resurrection power that you have modeled, have offered, have displayed. Let it not be something that's just in our minds. Let it be in our hearts. That's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Family, if you are here If you are here and you've heard this story from our Good Friday time of talking about the cross and all that Jesus experienced, or today you've heard about this this God that not only died, conquered death, but he lives, lives in power. And you are saying, I have tried to live my life my own way. That taking control and trying to do it myself has led to my demise. Or that I just believe that this God that conquered death is real and I want to live for him. However you would choose to come to accept Christ, if today you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's in control of all things, and Savior has saved us from the wrath of death, from saved us from our sins. If you believe that today, then we invite you to accept Jesus into your heart and to walk with Christ. I want to ask people that are present, if you could just bow your head with me, and if you're home, if you could be praying with us, if you are a person that's present and you want to accept Christ, I encourage you just to repeat after me this prayer. Jesus, I believe you died for me. 
I believe that I'm a sinner and that I needed you as my Savior. I want to submit all power to you. Free me from the shackles of sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may be able to live for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer today and it is a true heartfelt prayer, then we are grateful that you have just entered into the kingdom of God, that you are a part of God's family and we are celebrating you and this new journey and celebrating Christ and we join in the angels that are celebrating you being in a new family. We would love for you either in the chat to send something to us and say, hey, say good, good, good day. I would love to join MacAv. And if you are present, please fill out one of the cards we have and leave it at our, at our table over there because we want to do more than just see you get saved. We want to see you grow in Christ and live for him. And we want to be a church that walks with you in that process.